this is an exciting Sunday for us because uh, I, I am unbelievably proud of all of our staff. This marriage retreat was the fruit of Lisa's heart and efforts, and she's doing a killer job with women's ministry. Emily is tearing it up on, on uh, Sunday nights with the youth ministry. Heather is just our, you always know Heather's killing it. Um, sadly, we don't have her in here enough to show her off to you guys, but your kids are just experiencing world-class children's ministry because of it. Uh, uh, Pastor Jared in leading our worship has just done an incredible job. Pastor Jamie in doing the online campus and, and helping support uh, the messages every weekend. Our entire team, our support team, our volunteer, everybody's doing an amazing job. But th this uh, particular position is just one that um, I have been... Uh, when you have a level of anticipation and a level of, of desire for it to be just absolutely right... Um, you, you sort of pray that God will uh, help you uh, make a, a relationship, a connection that happens. And for, I've told you guys this before when we first introduced Pastor Dan, that um, we had just been praying and believing for years for that God would make a way for him to join the staff. And uh, that's been able to happen. And he started his first week hitting the ground running. I mean, he just, he and Teresa tore it up at, at, at marriage retreat, did an incredible job. And uh, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> and I said, hey, I know you're speaking a lot. I think it'd be a good idea if I added one more message to your plate. And so um, he's kind of a little bit finishing up the marriage retreat, but this is for everyone this morning. I'm so super excited uh, to announce our brand new executive and connections pastor, Pastor Dan Howe. Give him just a huge, 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 huge welcome. Thank you so much, Pastor Chris. And yes, it is exciting to be here, not as a guest speaker, but as a staff member. Come on, I am so pumped right here, right now. And I, I just want to share a little bit of a backstory with Teresa and I. Uh, I've been on staff at a number of different churches, and actually I've been coming over here uh, for a period of years and, and speaking from time to time for Pastor Chris, and we had him to some of the places I was at, and that was always fun, but it was hilarious. Whenever we came here, and I guest spoke, Teresa would say, I know you pastor at another church, but can we go here? <laughs> And she actually heard from God before I did that this is where we're supposed to be. Um, so we're excited to be here. Uh, I just want to share a little bit. Teresa's kind of, she tends to get what she wants in life. Like now we're here, right? Uh, I remember when we first got married. We've been married 12 years now. We have a blended family. My daughter's here. Um, actually, my daughters are here. It's just honored that they come. Uh, but yeah, we have a great blended family and we just love life with all of us. Uh, but when we first got married, one of the things Teresa said a few times, because we would go to the, to the coast sometimes, she said, if you truly loved me, you would move me to the beach. And we're living in Sacramento. Come on, there's not a chance that's going to happen. Well, in 2017, I accepted a position in San Diego as a campus pastor down there. Check it off the list. Well, she also said, man, I've always wanted to live in wine country. And so uh, we moved to Sonoma County, and I was a campus pastor there for two years. And um, she also said she wanted a cat. I, I'm not a crazy cat person, but, well, we have a cat now. <laughs> now, during COVID, I started getting a little nervous because she, she got interested in Antarctica. And, and she, she was looking down, oh, there's whales, and there's, there's penguins, and there's seals. I'm like... 
You can see that in Northern California, right? Uh, the penguins you got to go to the zoo for. But, but uh, so I looked up cruises. There's cruises to Antarctica. Did you know that? Uh, they're only about 10000 per person double occupancy. So I told her, hey, it's going to cost us $10,000 per person to go down there. That doesn't include flights or anything else. She, so she is undeterred. She started looking up job opportunities. Do you know, surprisingly, there are open positions in Antarctica where it's 100 degrees below zero and you can walk outside and die within seconds. So uh, she was telling me about this and she said, well, I've always supported your career moves. I said, I moved you to San Diego, the number one resort destination. No one has ever died of exposure in San Diego. The worst thing that happens is you might get a tan. Well, the point is, she generally gets what she wants, but not always, but she still loves me, even though she doesn't always get what she wants. And we're going to talk about love this morning uh, as we continue the four-week series on Just the Red, talking about Jesus, the things he said and he did. So let's pray together to kick this off. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to, to share your word and to understand your heart for loving people. And as I speak this morning, I just pray people would hear from you and be able to apply to their lives the things that you want them to understand this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I loved hearing Pastor Chris talked a lot last week about the great commandment to love God and love others. But this morning I thought we could drill down a little deeper because I've heard that word love said a lot. Uh, but how do you truly love someone? What's some practical applications of how to love somebody? And Jesus talks about that uh, a lot in the Gospel of John. In fact, to give you a little backstory, John has the largest section of dialogue with Jesus and his disciples on the night before he was crucified. There's five chapters dedicated to it. In chapter 13, he says to the disciples, I'm giving you a new commandment, and he explains it. It's to love. The next chapter, he says, if you, are, if you obey me, if you truly love me, you'll obey my commands. And in chapter 15, we pick it up here as he goes on to dig a little deeper about what this looks like. John 15, 12 to 15 says this, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. So we can see in this passage that he's comparing the deepest kind of love to sacrifice. And honestly, we hear sometimes when people have given great sacrifices like parents, They've sacrificed their lives for their children. We understand that's love. Or a soldier in war sacrifices his life to save the lives of his friends. We know that's a great sacrifice. But what are some practical ways, short of death, that we can truly love people the way Jesus loved them? First, we need to uncover what people's deepest needs are. See, true love really meets us in our souls, in our deepest longings and needs. And we're going to see this morning three different ways that Jesus drills down into what those needs are and meets them where people are. The first thing for people to experience God's love through us, we need to see their value. We need to see people's value. People have intrinsic value. But we live in a culture and a society that people are given their value based on what they can do for you. Or are their thoughts or their, their beliefs in alignment with yours religiously or politically or socially? 
And so if you, all you got to do is go onto Twitter to see the kinds of things that people are saying about each other and the value they have for each other. But we have intrinsic value. There's not a person on earth that's ever lived that isn't deeply valuable to God and to others. I was thinking about uh, this. I was talking to a friend of mine this week who's, uh, he's a single guy and he tried the online dating stuff. And, and that's a place where people are crying out to say, hey, I am valuable. I'm, I'm worth a date, right? So I was thinking about, like, I have been so far removed from that dating scene. I thought, what, what is it they do today online dating? And so I was looking up how you get noticed in the online dating world. And so I found, this is serious research, I spent far too much time doing this, but I found some one-liners that people say, that if you use these one-liners, you'll get noticed. Now I want to, you give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down if you think is, this is going to get you noticed. Here's the first line, this is legit, they think this is how you do it. You should probably tie your shoelaces or you might fall for me. Come on, that's a thumbs down, big time. Here's another one. Hi, I'm interviewing hot girls for a story I'm writing. So, what's your phone number and are you free Friday night? Uh, this third one, I'm sorry, it got me. This one got me. I think it's gonna get you too. Are you my appendix? Because this feeling in my stomach makes me wanna take you out. No, okay. I'm sorry, that was so bizarre, I thought, okay, I, I would probably fall for that one, but the reality is we all want to be seen as valuable, and Jesus had a way to just cut right through and see people's value. Let's read what he says in Matthew 9, verses 35 and 36. Uh, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. But when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. See, see, there was a crowd of people, but he saw through the crowds, he saw individual in the crowds, and he realized these people are being hurt. They're being harassed, they're being exploited. They were being exploited by their government. They were being exploited by their leaders. And, and they were being hurt by these people. They were also helpless. They were being ignored. They were being marginalized. That's who Jesus saw in these crowds. And his heart of compassion went out to them because he saw them as people with value. They shouldn't be hurt. They shouldn't be harassed. They shouldn't be ignored because he created them with great value. But we have a problem, folks. We have a, we have a struggle because we fall into the trap that the people in Jesus' day do. There's this thing I was reading about called motivated perception. You ever heard of it? We are motivated to perceive things the way we want. We're motivated to perceive people in accordance with how they might meet our needs or meet our goals. So if we see somebody that doesn't really align with our thoughts or our goals or our beliefs, we tend to, to look at them as less valuable than other people that might align with us. I mean, this goes way back to high school, right? You always want to be in the popular crowd if you can. And so you put people in different categories of value. But this isn't true. God valued every single person. You know, one of the people in history that everybody knows about 
that was famous for getting it right, understanding Jesus' point of view was Mother Teresa. She worked with marginalized people in India. And India has a caste system with different levels, and the reality is we all have caste systems. We all have, all have every culture in the world has people that are elites and people that are down in the margins of society. And in India, they have these people that are called untouchables, and it is what it sounds like. They were looked at as people that you did not want to touch, you did not want to see, and those are the people that Mother Teresa saw. And this is what she said about them. Being unwanted, unloved, uncared for, forgotten by everybody, I think is a much greater hunger, a much deeper poverty than somebody who doesn't have something to eat. She realized that value is at the core of our need. We need to feel like we're important, like we matter, like we're valuable to somebody. She said this about the crowds. Never worry about numbers. Help one person at a time and always start with the person nearest to you. Could it be that God is putting people in our paths intentionally so we will see them? so we will see their value. It may not be the people that you think. It may not people, be the people that you're normally attracted to. I remember one time I was in Southern California. I, I lived here, but I worked down there. We had an office down there. I was in my hotel room, and I was getting ready to go back to the office. It was a little after lunch, and I was kind of in a hurry, and I, I'm just about to pull out of my parking space, and I see this guy coming, and I've seen these kinds of guys a million times. He, he looks a little disheveled, uh, he, he's probably homeless, and he's going to give me this pitch. Uh, I need some money, my car's parked around the corner, I just need a little bit more to get from here to there. I have heard that pitch so many times. So as I see him coming up to me, I roll my window down a crack and I said, sorry, I don't have any money. Rolled, I didn't even let him get anything out of his mouth. I just rolled my window back up, pulled out, and then started pulling into the street. As soon as I hit the street, I heard this voice in my head, go buy him lunch. And I said, that can't be God because he knows I'm late to work. So I pull onto the street and I hear it again. And at this point I'm thinking, that's kind of weird to hear something like that in my head twice. So either my conscience is telling me this or God's telling me this, but I better not be disobedient. So I pull out, I pull into the next entrance, back into the parking lot, circle back around, roll my window down, said, can I buy you lunch? He said, really? How about Subway? So if somebody was right there, I pulled in, I parked, we got in line. As I was in line, I got his name. His name was Dana. And uh, he said, as we were waiting, that meant a lot to me when you stopped and came back. Thank you. And I said, well, Dana, get what you want. I just want to bless you today. Okay. All right, double cheese, double meat. Can I have two cookies? Sure. Two bags of chips? Yeah. Extra large drink? Great. So he went and he bought everything. And, and then, t well, he didn't buy it. I bought it. But before I paid, he took off out the door, and I was kind of, I thought this was my moment to give him the gospel, but he left. I was a little frustrated. But anyway, the point was, as I left, I thought, how many people have driven by Dana and walked by Dana and not seen him as a person with deep value? How many times have I done that? Have I walked by people and not seen them for who they really are, somebody that God created with great value? You know, this can happen in the mundane. That was kind of a bigger example. But uh, three weeks ago, Teresa and I were having a date. We were at the Cheesecake Factory. And as we were there, the server came up. And if you're around me, I do this every once in a while. Not a lot, but it might happen when we're together. Uh, the server comes up, and she'll take our order. Or he'll take our order. And I'll say, hey, we pray for our meal. I don't want to be weird, but uh, we're happy to pray for you. Do you have any prayer requests? So as we're at Cheesecake Factory, I asked the server this. 
And she goes, you're going to make me cry. I'm in the middle of a horrible divorce. And I just, I don't know what to do. I'm struggling. And so Teresa and I, we used to run the divorce care program at our church. So we just began to minister to her, her, to, to her in that moment. And then we prayed for her. The reality is, she had value. If I just look at her as a server or somebody who's coming to do something for me, I diminish who she is. We do that so often. Jesus had a way of penetrating and seeing people's value, and that demonstrates love. I want to challenge you guys to get out of your echo chambers. Get out of the places where uh, you have people that have everything in common with you and look at somebody else and see them as somebody uh, that has value and maybe get to know them at a little deeper level. So that's number one. The second thing is for others to experience God's love through us, we need to hear their hearts. We need to hear their hearts. Have you ever been talking to somebody and and they repeat back to you what you're trying to say maybe it's kind of complicated and, and they get it and you go exactly you've ever done that or, or somebody's on a stage and they're telling a story maybe it's something kind of personal and deep about something that happened in their life in the past and you had the same thing happen and you cannot wait till the end of the message because you want to run up to the front and talk to them and say you know what? i had that same thing happen happen to me you want to connect with them because you feel that moment connected to them or maybe someone goes on a vacation to an exotic place and you went to that same place and you hear about it, you want to talk to them about their vacation because it's a shared experience. You feel connected to them. The reality is we need to hear from people's hearts. Jesus loved people by hearing from their hearts. And when we're not being understood, we feel alone, we feel isolated. That's true in marriage. Sometimes if we're not trying to understand our spouse, they can feel alone. If our kids don't feel understood by their parents, they feel alone. But when we feel understood and we feel heard, we feel connected, and that connection is love. So this is what Jesus did as he listened to people in Matthew 20, verses 29 to 34. He said this, As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. I want to stop there for a second. When I read this, I thought, that is one of the most calloused, cruel things I think I've ever read in Scripture. You think about this for a minute. These are blind men. Blind men had one occupation, that was to beg for money to survive. And they're here outside of Jericho, and the word has gotten out that Jesus is a healer, that Jesus has restored sight to blind people. And here they are, here's their one moment, one possibility that they might be healed. And what happens? Someone says, shut up, Jesus is trying to talk. That is callous. They weren't listening to the needs of these people. So what do they do? They go on. They shouted all the louder, good for them. Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. He said, come here. Come here. He got them from wherever they were, brought them to him. And he said, what do you want me to do for you? Which seems like kind of a dumb question. Like, you know, Jesus, we were thinking about dating advice, and, you know, we can't really see anybody. So. 
It's obvious what they need. He could have just healed them as he was walking by, but it feels good to be heard. Sometimes we look at people and we think we know what they, they need, but we won't know until we listen to them. And so Jesus listened to them. He asked, Lord, uh, we want our sight. Obvious. We want our sight. And it says that Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. You see, Jesus heard them, and he didn't just say, you can see. He touched them in their deepest need, their eyes, and healed them. That word compassion there, it comes from a, a root word which means to feel in your gut, to feel in your gut. He empathized with them. Do you know the difference between sympathy and empathy? Sympathy is, man, sucks to be you. Man, I would hate to be in your position, or it could be worse. Those have nothing to do with help and, and supporting somebody. Empathy is, gosh, that sounds awful. I am so sorry you're having to go through this. Oh, I don't know what I would do if I was in your situation. That's empathy. You're feeling something, and empathy takes sacrifice. It takes a willingness to take on somebody else's pain so that you can walk in it with them. And that's what Jesus did here. He felt their pain and healed them at their greatest need. And one time it was, I was on staff uh, at another church and we had a, a Sunday school class of about 150 people. It was a huge class. Sat, they sat around tables. And I wasn't teaching that day. I was on the rotation, but I was just sitting enjoying it. And at the end of the class, I had some ladies come up to me and they said, hey, there's somebody outside that's really upset. Can you go out and talk to her? And so I got up from the table and I thought, okay, I'm happy to help, right? I go outside and she is in tears and she was surrounded by these ladies and said, I sent an email to somebody. My mom died this week and I sent an email and I wanted to get prayed for this morning and no one prayed for me. No one cares about me. And I said, well, I care. And she said, no, you don't. No, you don't. And in that moment, I, what first came to my mind is, listen, lady, you didn't send the email to me. <laughs> this isn't my deal. I'm just trying to help here. And I get all defensive. And in that moment, I just stopped. And I said, Lord, help me. And for a second, I, I stepped into her shoes and I thought, oh, my gosh, she lost her mom. And, and the one place she felt the most safe that she wanted support was this group and she reached out and didn't get anything in response. That had to have felt awful. And so I said to her, oh my gosh, what a miss on our, our part. I am so sorry that happened to you. That had to have felt horrible to come here and want support and not get it. Please forgive us. I know it's not the same, but can we pray for you right now? And she, in her tears, said yes. And so we gathered around here and we prayed for her right there. And then the other ladies after the prayer said, we don't want you to be alone today. Can we take you to breakfast or to lunch? And they went off together to lunch. See, the reality was what's on the surface isn't always what's going on. She had a deep soul need to be heard. And when we hear people and we step into their shoes and walk with them in empathy, we are demonstrating a deep love for them. So I'd like to challenge you in this. To grow in your empathy, the first thing you do is be curious about people. Be curious about their stories. 
Teresa is great at getting people's stories. She makes friends anywhere. Makes friends at the grocery store line. Oh, I got a new friend on Facebook. She makes friends at the DMV. Well, there's more time to make friends at the DMV. But anyway, so be curious about people's stories. Focus on the similarities you have with them. You know, build those bridges. Imagine yourself in their shoes. And here's a big one. Maybe volunteer somewhere doing something where the people that you're serving can't do anything for you right like like the salt mine they have great ministries the salt mine has phenomenal ministries in Lincoln uh, my daughter-in-law works for the Salvation Army downtown Sacramento you go down there and you just serve people and you hear their stories and there's a lot of pain in people's lives and they need to be heard the third thing is we need to connect to their lives we need to connect to their lives if they really want to experience God's love through me connect to them Jesus connected with people he was a great connector. We read this in Matthew 9, verses 9 to 13. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a, a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. you got to know those were not popular people. I, I guess they're a little more popular today, right? Maybe not. <laughs> Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher sit with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus connected with Matthew. Matthew was a marginalized person, but he was a valuable person. He was a person that needed to be heard, and he connected with Matthew, and I just read the story out of the book of Matthew. Matthew became one of Jesus' most ardent followers. He wrote the gospel of Matthew, and Jesus committed to his life. You know, we have commitment issues, I think, in our culture, don't we? You ever heard of gamophobia? I learned about that this week from Jamie. Uh, gamophobia is where uh, a guy and a woman date, and, and one of them seems to have a fear of commitment. I know of somebody who's been dating like 25 years, but you never know. It might go wrong if we get married. So, <clears throat> I think we have commitment phobia because commitment requires something of us. It requires us to love somebody. It requires us to be there even if we don't want to. And Jesus committed to these 12 men. He committed to others, too, that, that followed him. But he committed to these 12 people, and he invested his life in them. And as your connections pastor, <laughs> might I say, I think it's really important. It's highly important. It not only benefits you, it benefits the people in that group. It's it's. Powerful. It's transformative to do life together. Uh, as I said, I got to live in Sonoma County. In Sonoma County, they have some of the tallest trees in the world, redwoods, right? You ever been to the redwoods? Oh, I love the redwoods. So we would go down there, but redwood trees, uh, some of them are over 300 feet tall. That's nuts. Do you know some redwoods that are tall like that weigh over two million, two and a half million pounds? Think about that. Two and a half million pounds of tree going up 30 stories and their roots are only 15 feet deep. Now you think, there's winds that blow through that valley and you see these trees doing this. How in the world does a 300 foot, 2.5 million pound tree not fall over when it only has a tiny root below it? Well, it's because those roots extend out 
into other trees and under other trees that also weigh two million pounds. So when those winds hit, those trees that have that network of roots that are holding themselves together sway, but they never fall. And the swaying of the trees makes the trunks even stronger and stronger and stronger. We could learn a lot from the redwood trees. We need to hang together. Come on, yeah. We need to hang together and commit ourselves to each other. I believe in small groups. I've been in a small group or multiple small groups in every church I've ever been in, and I've never regretted it. And I know some of you might be newer here to Summit, but uh, if you are, keep checking out the church, but we would love you to be in a small group. If you've been here a while and you're not in a small group, we would love you to be in a small group. There's a lot of great ones we already talked about this morning. But one of the other things we need a lot is we need small group hosts or gear group hosts. That's what we call our small groups here. And uh, we need people that would open their homes. We need people that would be willing to meet in a coffee shop. We need people that would be, would be willing to take a chance and make a commitment, get over that phobia and say, you know what, I don't know exactly what I'm doing, but I'm willing to take a step of faith because I want to entwine my lives with others. I want a stronger life. I want to pour into others and let them pour into me. Uh, this is the last week, I think, of Rick Warren's career. He's preaching his last sermon, and he has this great, uh, this great story he tells about a guy in his church. They're well-known Saddleback Church uh, in Southern California, well-known for their small groups. They have more small groups uh, in their church than they have people coming on Sundays. And so there was a guy that always sat in the front row, and uh, his name was Frank. been there many, many years. Uh, one time, Rick was on a sabbatical. When he came back, he heard, oh, Frank's in the hospital. So Rick went to visit him in the hospital, and Frank was angry. And he said when Rick came in, Rick, you are the first person from church that's come to visit me. And Rick said, didn't your small group come? He goes, well, I'm not in a small group. He said, how many years have you been here? 25 years? For the last 17 years, we've been talking about the importance of small groups. It's kind of on you at this point, because small groups care for each other when things are tough. So I would encourage you to, to join a small group or talk to me about a small group. I'll be out in the lobby. Uh, this afternoon, uh, right after we're done. I want to close by saying this. When Jesus said at the very beginning that he wants us to love other people uh, as he has loved the disciples or, or as he has loved us, I want you to understand about something that Jesus went through when he did do that sacrifice, that no greater love sacrifice that he talked about. You see, Jesus understands what it's like to be overlooked, to be invisible, to not be seen as someone who's valuable. He hung on the cross, and it says at noon, at the noon time of the day for three hours, from noon to three, it became pitch black. It became dark as he hung on the cross. He was the light of the world, and here he was in darkness, not being seen as valuable. Jesus knows what it's like to not be heard. The night before he died, he, he took the disciples to the garden. He said, I want to pray. I want to pray to my Father. You guys stay over here and watch and pray as I go over here and pray. And, and he went off to pray and he said, Father, if this cup can pass from me, let it pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. After praying that and not hearing anything, he came back to his disciples and found them asleep. Couldn't you even stay awake for an hour? He 
he leaves, he goes back, prays again, Father, if this cup can pass for me, let it pass. He doesn't hear anything. He goes back to the disciples. They're asleep again. No one's listening to him. He's not hearing from God. He, his, his disciples aren't listening to him. He go, goes back a third time, and he realizes at this point, God's not taking this cup from me. I need to go. Jesus knows what it's like to not be connected. When he hung on the cross, there was that moment when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was utterly alone. His disciples had run off in fear. And he hung there alone and didn't even feel the presence of God. Why? That was the sacrifice he wanted you to understand that you have value. That what you bring and what's in your heart is worth listening to and caring about. That you're worth connecting to and he wants to connect to you. But our sin and our mistakes and our guilt get in the way of that. And so he did that so you could experience connection with him, to be seen by him, and to, to enjoy the fellowship with him. So I don't know if any of you have not ever taken that step of faith to trust him, to say, I want to be connected with you, but you can do that this morning in the quiet of your seat right there. You just say, God, I just, I heard what Dan said, and I just want to start following you. I don't know what it looks like exactly, but I want to be seen by you, my God, and I want to be heard by you, and I want to be, feel connected to you. And maybe some of you don't feel seen. You don't feel seen in your job. You don't feel seen in your marriage. You don't feel seen by your, your kids or your parents or whoever it is. Just know this. God sees you. God hears you. And God wants to connect with you this morning. We're going to share in communion. Uh, but before we do, I want to I do a closing story. Uh, remember I talked about Dana earlier? I came back from work that night and I met Dana uh, right outside the restaurant I was going to for dinner. I didn't expect to see him again, but there he was. And right on the other side of, of this uh, restaurant where I was going to was a liquor store. And Dana was asking for money. And so I came up to him and said, hey, Dana. He goes, hey, Subway. And I said, hey, what are you doing here? And he goes, oh, I'm... I'm, I'll be honest. Uh, I actually live just a few blocks from here. Um, but I'm disabled, so I don't go to work. And I'm an alcoholic. And my wife won't give me any money. So the only way I can get drinks is I come here and ask people for money. And I said, do you have kids or anything? Yeah, I've got a daughter. She's 12. I said, Dana, do you believe in God? He said, I don't know. There's so much evil in the world. How could there be a God to allow so much evil? And I said, Dana, I get it. I understand. But you know what? Today, as I was pulling out of the parking lot, you know why I came back? I heard God tell me to come and buy you lunch. And I didn't do it. I kept going. He told me again. And only then did I turn around and buy you lunch. He sees you. He knows you're valuable. And he sent me here to tell you that. Dana, do you want to live a life where you're leaving your wife and your daughter at home to get drunk? 
don't you want a wife that respects you and a daughter that can look up to you? He goes, yes, I would love that more than anything. I said, Danny, what do you need to do? He goes, I don't like what I'm doing. I need to leave this life behind. I said, well, what do you want to do next? Do you want, do you want me to pray with you? I, he said, yeah, would you? So I, we prayed together. We were done praying. He goes, I want to go home. I want to go see my wife right now. I want to find a church to get plugged into. And I watched him walk down the street. God sees every single one of us as people of value. And he wants to meet with us and meet us at our greatest need and forgive us of our sins and our guilt and take us to new places and new relationships, if we'll only let him. As we share in communion, I just want to share with you that night that Jesus, I guess we could have our ushers come forward and, and have that hand out the elements. But uh, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, the night he was spending with his disciples, he had the, what they call the Last Supper. You've heard of the Last Supper, but he shared communion with them. Communion was just being together with them. Thank you so much, Barbara. Actually, I'm going to give you a little help with this before I explain you might need to rip the little tiny plastic piece off the top so you can get the wafer out. And then open it up. There we go. I thought it was fitting that we would share communion this morning after talking about Jesus uh, on his last night with his disciples. So as he was sharing communion with them, communion really means we're communing with him. He said to his disciples that he was looking forward to having this meal with them. Um, think about that. Like all these three years, he knew it was his last night with them, and he was looking forward to this last meal. And he said that every time you have this meal, you think of me until, uh, until I come back. And so this is a reminder for us that Jesus is going to come back to us someday. We're going to see him in the flesh someday. And every time we partake in this, we remember that uh, we have a hope that Jesus will return. But Jesus took the bread and he said, this bread is the new covenant in, or excuse me, this bread is my body which is given for you. Take this in remembrance of me. See, his, his body was, was put on the cross. He was given as a sacrifice uh, in our place to take care of our own guilt and sin. And that's what the representation of the bread is. And he took the cup after the dinner. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Uh, every time you partake of this, do this in remembrance of me. And the cup, the blood just symbolizes the sacrifice uh, of his shed blood so that we could be forgiven and be reunited and reconnected to God. So does everybody have the communion elements? All right. Let's partake of the bread together and the cup. Father God, we thank you so much for what you've given to us through Jesus Christ for seeing us, for hearing us, and for connecting with us. Help us to love others in those practical ways. The people that you bring into our lives, the people that we do life with, 
so we could demonstrate your love to them. In Jesus' name.